Hi there. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. How you doing today? For you new listeners, the Keys Bartender podcast is about Keys life, bartending, and bar talk, though not necessarily in that order. Today, we'll be talking about the old-fashioned and a museum at the end of the show with a bunch of key stuff maybe in between. And at the end of the show, I'm going to give you my recipe for an old-fashioned. Okay, before we get started, I wanted to tell you, we have another tropical system. It is, I think it's Tropical Storm Nicole. They're going through all the names of uh, people I've known. So, they, you know, like a year ago, it was about people I've never really met before. But this, you know, you have Nicole. We had Ian, had a bunch of Ians. I know a bunch of Ians. We only had one hurricane named Ians. But we weren't expecting one. This is maybe the... If I remember correctly what they said this morning, it's a number five name storm since in November that's threatening the Florida coast or threatening the United States. And uh, it's going to hit, it looks like it's going to hit around category one. It's a tropical storm or a tropical system now. It's going to go across the Bahamas. And it looked like it was going to be just slightly north of us. Now it's going a little more north of us at, at the time of this recording. Uh, as it gets closer, the models get better. The spaghetti models, which, uh, you know, is an aptly named thing for it because the lines do look like spaghetti. And uh, not you know, like a mess of spaghetti going across. There's one line that brings it down to... Miami. There's only one line right now that does Miami. So they're getting better and better. I, I hope they're getting better and better. We'll find out about that more and more as time goes on, the closer it gets, right? And that's all we need right now for it to go across Florida, north of Right now, it looks like it's going to go to West Palm Beach and things like that. Uh, locally, I wanted to tell you there's construction going on. I'm in my daughter's room right now recording the show. And across the street, there's there's a lot of construction going on on the street that I live on. And the guys that are working, man, are they disciplined. And they really do. I'm obviously construction. They're all professionals and stuff like that, but they're very good. There's a lot of a Latin-type people working on it, but they are so good at just getting together and proceeding and getting it done quick and seem to be doing a really a bang up job of it. But the thing that most concerns me because there's almost all the vacant lots are already taken up and sold. There's one set of mangrove trees. Well, not exactly mangrove because we're not near the water. We're we're a hundred yards away from the water, but that doesn't look like it's developed. But on the other side, about a hundred feet from this property, there is another property that. Looks like it's about to be developed. And there's this really old hardwood tree there. I don't know if it's a lignum vitae or some type of tree it is. But it certainly looks at least 80 years old. It's very wide girth in the trunk. And I just really, I know, I understand progress and stuff like that. You do, but I hate to see old trees get cut down. There's so many trees that got cut down here recently. Some... 
at the top of the street, we lost so many uh, trees. And if you go to certain neighborhoods down here, you'll see a couple palm trees. You'll rarely see in these big development in these neighborhoods with these multi-million dollar homes. You'll rarely see a big old tree in there. It's all stone lawns and a couple palm trees around there and stuff like that. Not like the natural version of Key Largo you'd see in North Key Largo as you go right off the stretch. But we're not talking about that today. I did tell you I was talking about the old-fashioned. Okay, it's old-fashioned first. It's not old-fashioned. Because you'd always... When people come up in the order, and it seems to be the cocktail over the last, I'd have to say 20 years, or maybe even a little longer, the cocktail culture has really come back, I guess 25, 30 years, where it was really heavy in the 50s and 60s, and then you had later 60s, 70s, and 80s. It wasn't cocktails as much, it was, it was going to beer, and obviously the wine craze that came up, because when I was younger, wine, there was like three types of wine you could drink, and if you had more than three types of wine, you were part of British royalty or something like that. But the old-fashioned, that comes to mind. That That is something, an entirely different kind of vein you have the martini, you have old fashions, you have Manhattans, which are, the Manhattan and martini are pretty much similar because they're served in martini glasses. That, that's up drinks. The old fashioned is always, almost, I haven't heard it served up. I have not heard. That's one thing. I bet there's someone out there that drinks it up, but it's always served on the rocks. And I'll give you the constituent ingredients. At the end of the show, I'm going to go and tell you exactly how I prepare mine, though. Okay, the constituent ingredients. Now, some of these pe- things can be altered. You have bourbon. You have a sugar cube or a simple syrup. And I'll go over the differences in that. And you have bitters, Angostura bitters, that comes around. That, that's been around since the 1800s. The orange slice and a maraschino cherry. And... Let's not undersell this. The uh, the rock glass. You need a nice cocktail glass. So not not exactly a rock glass. You want to use a short glass for this one. Typically anywhere from seven to ten ounces. You're not using the whole glass. Meaning when you say you're not using the whole glass, you're not filling it up all the way. You shouldn't be filling it up all the way. Take it from me. That's a lot of liquor because most of the ingredient that you use will be the bourbon. And as I said, you can substitute other things. Now, what brought me to talk about this was reminiscent of, if you ever read Jonathan Swift, Gulliver's Travels, when Gulliver lands on the island of Lilliput, when he's stranded, and he is captured by little people, Lilliput, you know, and he eventually befriends them and becomes a member of their society, a protector from them. And he is, he finds out that Lilliput is at war with his neighbor. 
you know, a bunch of pint-sized people, very tiny people too. And the war is over the best way of eating or, you know, eating a soft-boiled egg, whether from the big end or the small end, when you break it. And that's a disagreement. Jonathan Swift was a excellent, excellent uh, satirist. And he was making fun of the political divisions that occurred, how people, even though they may have similar goals, that they would argue about the silliest things. He also wrote something about when there was... Um, the potato famine occurred, or it was prior. There was one of the famines before the potato famine. And Jonathan Swift says, well, if you run out of food, why don't you just eat the children? Now, he didn't mean that. He meant it. He was he was wicked with his uh, satire, I'm telling you. But when it comes to the old-fashioned, I belong to a lot of these Facebook groups. And in... One of the Facebook groups, people will just, you just bring up a topic and they'll say, how do you like to prepare your old fashioned? And holy shit, you would think that people mentioned, you know, I'm a Christian and Jesus is the only person, you know, you say it in a group and there's Muslims and Jews and Hindus and you say, well, Jesus is the only one to listen to. And the Hindu would be Shiva, and the Muslim would be Muhammad, and there would be a Buddhist in there and things like that. Well, cocktails are the same way. Every bar, bartender, has their different take on some of these most iconic cocktails. They do. And it gets really vicious how people suggest something. One guy lost their shit when they suggested to shake a Long Island iced tea, which isn't normally shaken because it gets soda in it. But to each their own, right? Taste-wise. And people like to put their own spin on their favorite cocktails. But what the things they really argue about are the minutiae. Because earlier on, I told you about one of the constituent ingredients. You have the sugar cube. Now, a lot of people don't have access to sugar cubes. Sugar cubes were used a lot with, especially the British, the, the sugar, one lump or two. That was the way you, uh, when you serve tea, you know, instead of a teaspoon, how many sugars do you want? Well, you put a, a sugar cube in there and it's not a shaken drink. A old fashioned is not a shaken or stirred drink. It's prepared. And served that way. And it's served on ice. Like I said, it's not served up. So you got the sugar cube. But nowadays, people use simple syrup. And simple syrup is just a sugar that's diluted in water. And it's syrupy. A lot of people make the mistake when they, they try to make it like sweet water. No, you want to turn it into a syrup. So you usually have to get your water real hot. You got to dilute the sugar all the way down. So it doesn't, there's no crystals left in it. And this way you have a uniform distribution for sugar. Now, when you put a sugar cube into a old-fashioned, it doesn't distribute uniformly. But a lot of times, that's the characteristic they want to have for their cocktail. They want to have sweet spots and non-sweet spots. Just 
the way it is. And then the orange. I think what happened is you hear orange slice, but what they really mean is orange rind. and Or it's a twist. An orange twist versus orange slice. An orange slice, just picture a whole slice of orange. Right? It's, it's more of a wedge. I like to use a wedge, but other people use slice when you have an even slice half moon, which I'd probably be better to demonstrate with video, which I'll hopefully be doing in the future. But the twist is when you have the flesh away. Now, there's, there's people who say, listen, when it's the peel, you get very little of the pith. That's the white part behind the orange peel, the orange colored peel. The pith is the meat, uh, is, is the substance in between the flesh of the orange and the skin. So they want that part removed of almost all the pith in it and expressed. And to express it, you're kind of bending it and releasing the orange essence or oils that's in the surface of the orange peel. And that does a certain characteristic. So there is a difference there. And when the orange slice and the maraschino cherry, I mentioned that, there are people that muddle. They take it and when you're muddling something, you take an apothecary's muddle, but, you know, it's a bartender's muddle. It has flat end, which is usually a, a regular uneven surface on one side. And that's for not exactly pulverizing, but kind of mealing it out by tamping down on the cherry and the flesh of the orange. Not the peel, but... You can do it in the old fashioned. You can normally when you muddle something like you would for a a mojito. You would stay away from the rind when you're muddling because you don't want to get that bitterness from it. But the bitterness or the expression of the orange, the oils, are actually an essential ingredient of the old fashioned. So it really doesn't matter at that point, depending on what you like or dislike. And then you have the bitters. Now, now I mentioned that you see, some people believe that you put a whole orange slice in with the meat, uh, the flesh, I should say, with the meat. The meat of the orange, the flesh of the orange. Or just the peel. And yet, a lot of people use a special, there's a, a deep peeler that just takes the skin off the orange. It's really kind of elegant how you do it. But I like... Um, I, I'm good with either way. If someone suggests something, I do have, and, and I'll explain that later with it. The bitters. The bitters existed since the 1800s. And and bitters are an extract from wormwood. And it's a concoction of different ingredients. But you just use just the smallest of dashes in it. A lot of people use bitters in a lot of their whiskey or brown liquor type cocktails. It's uh, It just adds a kind of different smoky taste to it. And there's smoky bitters and non-smoky bitters and there's orange bitters. I'm sure there's all different types. There's basil bitters. 
And people say basil bitters. Yeah, there's all these different bitters that people use because they want to make their own take. And each bourbon has its own kind of characteristics. And that's where they try to make it more of a, their own. I only make mine with so-and-so bourbon. Some bartenders say basil Hayden. And if you go to a really nice bar, if you order a high-end bourbon with an old-fashioned, you're probably looking at something like in the upper teens, low 20s, even higher, depending on the fineness of your bourbon. So this goes on and on. And then they can argue about the cubes you use that. I didn't I don't put in my drink recipes cubes. You should know that already. If you're making a seven and seven, you should know that you should put ice in the drink first. Now for an old fashioned, ice goes in probably more in the middle of it after you've taken care of the orange, the cherry, and now with the bitters and simple syrup, if you were going to use an ice, uh, a sugar cube, you could do that. You would do that before the ice is introduced. But with simple syrup, you could put the ice after the orange and the maraschino cherry after you're done, whatever you're going to do with it, muddling it or not muddling it or expressing the orange. So, you got that. The cubes. Now, really good ice can make or break a cocktail. I mean, ice can make or break. Really good ice will not ruin a cocktail. Bad ice will ruin a cocktail. I worked some big functions here in the, the Keys, and they used ice from the fish house for some of these big events. And when I say the fisheries, actually, they used ice from the fisheries and have these huge industrial ice machines. And they put out thick kind of uh, pieces of ice that are kind of not, they're really cloudy and they're not the best. best. The best ice to use is a kind of a clear ice. It could have a little imperfection in it, but I like, I like a little, not crushed ice. I like cubed or small block ice, the little ones you get that would come in the trays. Some nowadays people are using big round balls of ice. One, because it reduces the amount of surface area. So this thing goes on and on for every drink, whether we're talking about Bloody Mary, this and that. But the old fashioned had, it's funny when I was looking at it, everyone had a different take on it. Everyone, because, you know, it's one of those ones that lend itself to the kind of flair that especially mixologists want to make their own. So I'll get back to you a little later after we're done on the next topic. I wanted to uh, talk about our sponsor right now, and I'll be right back. Hi, let me tell you about our sponsors. Key Largo Chocolates, operated by the Peterson family, Rich and Branham. Key Largo Chocolates is a favorite destination for locals and vacationers here in the Upper Keys. You'll find an assortment of handcrafted treats such as chocolates, truffles, fudge, cookies, the world-renowned Key Lime Pie, the Frozen Key Lime Pie Bar, and also 36 flavors of small batch ice creams and 
sorbets. So if you're in the area, it's a great place to visit after dinner or before dinner. If you're going to skip it, you might as well eat some nice treats and or ice cream or whatever you like. They have locations here in Key Largo and also Isle Murata. And their website, if you like to order any of their items, their delicious items, is www.keylargochocolates.com. And if you do stop by there, please tell them that the Keys bartender sent you. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Jim. I'm back. I wanted to talk a little about when I was doing a little research on the old-fashioned. I came across, I just wondered in my head, I said, you know, there's a museum for everything in the world, right? Everything in the world. Meaning, not just it's not just American phenomenon. They make the, the, the museum for the Oreo cookie, maybe. Or the, the museum for... the, the Television Arts Museum. I know I'm drawing a blank right now. I used to, I figured it was something like this, and you say anything. The insect, oh, an insectarium. When I lived in Philadelphia, there was a local exterminator that had an insectarium where they just had a display of all these different insects, lo- local ones. And once I, what did I do? I found a caterpillar in the local park in Northeast Philadelphia, and it was big, it was yellow and black and had horns coming out of the side. It was about five, six inches long and I just wanted to, it was, I just wanted to, I was thinking, I just think, boy, is this something that's local? I picked it up and I said, where do I take it? I'll take it to the insectarium. And I took it to the insectarium and they, and they said, oh yeah, these are all over the place. And I thought, oh God, okay. That's great. But you see that service that they did for me? They, they pointed out right away. said, no, you don't have to worry. It's not a dangerous species. Well, there's one called the Museum of the American Cocktail. And it's in New Orleans. I actually reached out to them. Uh, I have, a, I have a, a message from them. And they, I think they'll have them on. I'll have them on the show probably next week. I'll... Uh, have to prepare some questions for them. So that'll be really interesting. But I, it made me think, boy, there is so many different museums. And isn't it kind of, when you think about it, how important is for the preservation of culture, of society? In Philadelphia, we had so many uh, uh, museums. In Miami, we got a lot of museums. We've got museums down here. In the Keys, there's the the diving museum down here. There's a couple art museums down here. Later on in the week, I'm going to be having uh, Bonnie Barnes, the the um, the head of the Redbone Gallery, on the show talking about what they do. And it won't be on the Keys bartender, but it'll be on the Conch Chatter. But I'll be playing it on that one. That's neither here nor there. But I thought, hey, you know, there's probably going to be, there's a, a, a museum of clothing. There's the Air and Space Museums, all these museums. And what, they don't only serve that purpose of maintaining culture and historical, you know, records for, the from the past. 
They also serve as a nexus for the nonprofit community where they gather. A lot of these museums offer up their facilities for people that want to fundraise for all sorts of things, not just for the museum, but for other ones. And we're going to find that out from Bonnie. But I was thinking particularly about the American Cocktail Museum. I got to see, you know, the people that decide to go to American Cocktail Museum, you got the people that are aficionados of cocktails. And then you have the people that are just out and out, um, well, I guess it'd be all aficionados at cocktails because who really gives a shit about how they're made? If you like to drink a lot, you don't care about the American cocktail. You care about maybe you want to go to a distillation place, but the museum itself is amazing. And then it made me think of how, how long were cocktails around? And the first reference to cocktails come back, I think it was 1790. I wrote it down here, 1798. And... Yeah, and it was a reference to British punches, spirits, fruit juices, and spices that they put into big bowls. And you saw that. You always envision, like in A Christmas Carol, when if you, for the people to understand it, there was part where Ebenezer Scrooge, when he's going back in the past, and one of his employers, Fezziwig, throws a party, and they have a big punch bowl. And a punch bowl, you know, they just pour a bunch of liquors in there together and we got to liven it up and they have people drink from it. You know, little cups and stuff like that, punch bowls. But you, cocktail in the United States, you started referring to cocktails probably in the 1860s. And they mentioned the guy, I'm going to save that for the representative from the American Museum of Cocktail. That would probably be interesting to see how that came about and how originally you think you go into a you see a movie, an old Western, and they didn't make cocktails, right? Maybe they did. Maybe they put something into a a wine or a champagne if they had it or a beer. They could have put an egg or whiskey. But that was pretty much it. When you ordered a drink, they gave you a bottle of whiskey or a shot of whiskey. You know, no ice. Not a garnish. Imagine going into into uh, Dodge City and uh, belling up to the bar and says, "Listen, I'd like to get some bourbon." And could you express the orange? And the guy goes, "What the fuck is an orange? And what is express?" And the person will whip out a shotgun. Well, since we're towards the end of the show, I wanted to talk about my cocktail at the, and that would be the old fashioned. Now, I said a lot of things. I gave you the basic ingredients. If you remember the basic ingredients that I told you, the bourbon, the simple syrup, the bitters, the orange slice, maraschino cherry, I make it the way my father liked it. Oh, he He's still around, but I don't think he drinks too many of them anymore. I should run up there and make him one, actually. I should fly up there. Uh, this month or the beginning of next month and and make him an old-fashioned. But what I do is, like I said earlier, you want to take a cocktail glass. Not a tall, skinny cocktail glass, but, you know, any port in the storm, use what you got. But a shorter one, a wide-bottomed cocktail glass, 
what first I do is I put the whole orange slice and maraschino cherry in a bottle and I'm in the bottom and I muddle it. And then because I use simple syrup, but I would use if I had to, I would use a sugar cube. But they're really hard to maintain. And you know, you know, when you're hurrying and stuff like that, getting the little tongs, the little tongs they take, you got to take to put the sugar cube in. You don't want to use your fingers. Uh, but I squeeze a little simple syrup, a little bitters. And then I put the ice on top. I fill the glass to the level I'm going to put the, the liquor in. Because you're not going to have much more than that. You know, when I say much more than the liquor. And in a, they'll say anything from an ounce and a half to two ounces. I use two ounces. And then, so we got the muddled orange, the muddled cherry. I put the two dashes of bitters, two batter shaken, because it has a little top on it. It comes out a little at a time. You don't want to put, you don't even put it, it's the smallest fraction. Bitters are, are very aromatic. They're called aromatic bitters. I forgot to mention that earlier. You just put two dashes in, three if you want to be special. And then you put the two ounces in after, you know, I mentioned the syrup and all that stuff. And that's served. You can garnish with a cherry and an orange. You could put it, if you get one of those cocktail spears, you put it through and you put it on the edge. And that's my old fashioned. And I use bourbon, obviously. And a well bourbon's good if you have a decent well bourbon, obviously. You know, there's some, it's probably from pretty shitty well bourbons out there. But early times is all right. You could go up to, well, Maker's Mark, Basil Hayden, right? Woodford Reserve. There's tons of bourbons out there. You could have used that rye that I mentioned, uh, the sweet uh, rye to make it. Or you can use Canadian. So I didn't talk about those things. I've made, there was one doctor who used to come in, a friend of mine, Dr. Tom, a real doctor, you know, not a witch doctor, not a boat doctor, but a real doctor, emergency room physician. And he loved, he absolutely loved the brandy old fashioned, which is perfectly fine. You can use a Canadian whiskey, you can use an Irish whiskey. But I always found that people like, and the overwhelming majority enjoy that, the bourbon. And then you just serve it out. And then you're an expert. Now, like I said, if you're going to be getting fancy with the rind and all that stuff, be careful. When I say be careful, it's about cutting. People are all get all gung-ho about being a bartender and stuff like that. But the thing that really gets you is cutting up the fruit. You know? Be careful on um, how you take that rind off if you're doing it. If you want to do it a traditional way, there's all different ways you can make those old-fashioned. But that is mine. I'd like to thank our sponsor. I'd like to thank you for listening. And I will be back again on a later date. Talk to you later. Bye.